if there's one fantastic thing about our world, it's the stories each of us have. Everybody we meet has a story, unique to them and them alone. The stories we all carry are, are wonderful, and I wish I could hear them all. I can't, though. There are a lot of people out there. Instead, I make up stories. It's kind of a lazy way to go about meeting new people. Coming up are three stories that might have happened. First up, Cooper held his tongue. Between tree limbs and fluttering leaves, the early morning sun made its presence known. Tall aspens sprinkled themselves through a forest of old evergreens, and on the dirt floor of the forest sat Cooper. Cooper rested against a water-damaged sheet of plywood, spray-painted with meaningless symbols and harmless taunts like, Come and get it! It was a silly way to spend a day, but a day of woodland paintball seemed the only way to cheer up a dear friend. Cooper and Franklin had been friends since grade school. They played in marching band together, learned to drive together, filled out college applications together, had their first jobs at the same employer, and generally felt that by each other's side, nothing was impossible. Even heartbreak could be managed when they were side by side. Mending a broken heart was what brought the two to Edgar's Paintball Place, a hastily thrown together establishment that relies on Yelp reviews to convince potential patrons it is not, in fact, a murder hut. Franklin had spent the last six weeks moaning a love lost. Cooper gave the usual platitudes, nothing ventured, nothing gained, and his favorite, it is better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. The words fell on ears, unwilling to listen. Cooper's patience with Franklin's mopey mood was growing thin. The clear solution was to go to the woods and fire paint pellets at strangers. It made sense at one point. Cooper was sure at one point. It all made sense. Paint splattered against the plywood protecting the young men. It sounded like a tap-dancing octopus or, or really violent rain. Cooper could not decide the more apt analogy. Hey, remember that storm we drove through junior year finals? <laughs> I thought for sure we were going to be eaten by a tornado. Cooper laughed. He hoped memories of easier times would lure Franklin out of his melancholy. Jill and I drove through a storm last summer. Hailstone broke my windshield. It was scary, Franklin replied. Cooper sighed and checked his air-powered paint pusher. Coop, Franklin said. I, I have to win her back. When we get back, I'm calling her. Cooper's head drooped, and before he could stop himself, he screamed. Ah! What? Franklin could sense he hit a nerve. What? You ask me what? First off, you can't win people. She is not a prize. She recognized an insurmountable flaw in your relationship and was bright enough to call it off. You are sad now because emotions suck and the chemical withdrawal you are feeling is called detox. You have a right to feel upset about the end of things, but she has that right too. Calling it her pleading for a second chance diminishes even further what you two once had. Celebrate what was there. Take its lessons and, and, and hope it improves you as a person. Cooper blurted. His hands did most of the talking. Thwip! A sharp pain radiated from the back of Cooper's arms. Ah, friggin' ouch! He shouted, wiping paint off his armpit. Franklin was tagged out a beat later. The two walked off the field side by side, their team flag in the clutches of the enemy behind them. So, 
That, that's been building for a while, eh? Franklin asked. We need to be on opposite teams next round, Cooper said. So you can shoot me? Franklin asked, frightened. So I can shoot you, Cooper confirmed. That's, that's fair, Franklin said. And haven't we all known a Franklin or two? Our second story is inspired partially by true events. Here comes Trin Made a Mistake. Most of life for Trin Vega was moving from one awkward moment to the next. There was the unlocked bathroom door incident of 8th grade, the gym class yo-yo mishap shortly after that, the Potemkin PowerPoint problem that got him laughed out of his last job. Trin was not so much an unlucky person, but rather a terribly, hopelessly awkward collection of memories and cells, hoping to make it through at least one day without cringing over one action or another. Today was not that day. Trin made a mistake. Trin took a bus against his better judgment. The bus had people, and people had feelings, and feelings around Trin were usually... Ugh. The bus had four people on it. A mother and her baby. An old man in an ugly Christmas sweater, who was not wearing it ironically. And a sleeping fifty-something holding a leash attached to a dog the size of a rat. All Trin had to do was sit still, sit silent, and wait for his stop. He was quite happy to play his part. He just needed every other variable on the bus to play along. The rat dog barked at a passing billboard featuring cat food. The high-pitched yip woke the baby. The baby screamed. Trin understood that. It sucked to be woken up by a creature that was bred to be food. As the baby's wail filled the bus, the old man, unironically wearing the Christmas sweater, rose and attempted to find a new seat further from the small human. The old man, unironically wearing the ugly Christmas sweater, lumbered down the aisle, paying little attention to the other passengers. He muttered obscenities and spoke of how the entire bus-riding experience has gone to heck in a handbasket since its heyday in the 80s. Trin cringed at the thought of what a bus in the 80s must have smelled like. The baby's mother attempted to apologize for the sound, but only the old man unironically wearing the ugly Christmas sweater seemed to mind. Trin thought perhaps the sweater was simply a reflection of the old man's inner self. As the old man, unironically wearing the Christmas sweater, as he had come to be known, stepped by Trin, Trin attempted to pull his feet out of the aisle. Trin made a mistake. As his feet moved in, so did the old man. In the blink of an eye, the old man's unironic sweater was on Trin's face. Trin tasted cat hair and smelled store-brand buttercrackers. His screams were muffled in the pine tree and handgun pattern. How was this even Christmassy? Trin cried as the old man writhed and squirmed in an attempt to remove himself from the tiny young man. With every wiggle, Trin felt new parts of the old man's chest. Wiry chest hairs made their way through the sweater and into Trin's eyes. The smell of Old Spice was forever ruined for him. He tried to think of his happy place, a wonderful land of carousels and cotton candy clouds. He visited this mental vacation spot often. This was not how it would have happened in 1983, I can tell you that much, shouted the old man as he finally pulled himself free of Trin and continued on his way. Trin's entire face shook as the moment ended. He slowly opened his eyes and looked around. The baby was quiet. The mother looked on in horror. The sleeping fifty-something with the not-quite-a-dog remained asleep. The dog had walked over to Trin and began licking his shoe. I really need to get a bike, he mumbled.
word source but find my voice completely grating, the source material can be found at seancowling.wordpress.com. Subscribe for all sorts of stories, from parenting trials to steampunk serials. Some of them might even be good. One final tale for the day. Here is Brody and the Burglar. Brody made reservations three weeks in advance. He never did anything ahead of time. He could not even bring himself to buy dog food until after the bag ran out and his pug gave these weepy eyes up at him. Foresight was for those cut from a different cloth. This date had to go perfectly, though. He made sure his car had enough gas. The reservation was set for 8 o'clock. Not too late, not too early. They could grab dinner and then head straight to the concert in the park. He had it mapped out to the second. Phone alarms were going to start ringing at 5. Get ready by 5.15. Get dressed at 5.17. Breathe, man, was the alarm at 5.30. Maybe a quick shot to calm the nerves? Alarms all the way through 7.22 when he would have to leave his apartment to pick up his date. Brody did not know that across town, someone else had a schedule to mind. Brody had heard the phrase on television and in movies before, but he had no idea what corporate espionage actually meant. Just after his 8.44 alarm, which would only vibrate so as to not interrupt what was sure to be a lively conversation at this point of the meal, sounds went off. A building was being burglarized. The tenth floor of AmeriCoin, the city's largest and most financially important purveyor of machines that cost 51 cents to crush a penny and put a novelty, touristy design over Lincoln's head, as if anything worse could have happened to Lincoln's head, was lit with flashlights. Employees had gone off for the day, back home for Friday night festivities of their own choosing. AmeriCoin was not lit by monsters that dictated what could be done on a Friday night. Saturdays were, of course, a different issue. Two hired goons, clad in black and wearing socks over their heads with little eye holes cut out, rummaged through the CTO's office. They were looking for AmeriCoin's rumored new press. It could warp a circular nickel into a triangle. That advancement alone would propel them to even greater success, opening up airport terminals and art museums to the AmeriCoin brand. The technology would destroy their down-the-street rivals. Coin2Go. Coin2Go hired two well-known thieves with promises of all the pressed pennies they could ever desire. The two burglars found the plans and made a mad dash for the exit. In their haste to flee with the stolen goods, AmeriCoin's laser grid security system was tripped. The building erupted in flashing lights and sirens. Security guards appeared from seemingly nowhere, firing taser darts wildly about the building. Even the slightest shuffle of light was fired upon. The hired goons nearly made it out of the building without incident, not before facing off against Terry, the lobby guard. Terry had a 100% capture rate, the best in the biz. He fired at the goons, sending one to the ground like bacon frying in the pan. Take the case and run, the fallen goon shouted as he tossed the top-secret suitcase to his comrade. Terry had never had to reload before. The second goon ran right by him and into the city streets. Brody and his date sat street-side next to a waist-high iron fence. Their plates smelled of fine braised meats and grilled-to-perfection vegetables. Candlelight lit their faces as they spoke of their childhoods and favorite movies, places, and things. He was floating with excitement. The date could not have been going any better. The 844 alarm pulsed in his pocket, and he knew it was time to guide the conversation toward ending the meal and making their way to the park. His date was happy to oblige. The check was paid and the two walked to their next destination. 
Brody waited for just the right moment, the perfect sign to take his date's hand within his own and walk as one. They talked and laughed, but all the while Brody was looking for his sign. The two rounded a corner, and Brody was greeted by a man wearing all black and running like an Olympic sprinter being chased by an angry bear. Dude, Brody said. Take this, the man said. Get a digwine to go. You'll be paid. Paid well. The man shoved a nondescript suitcase into Brody's arms and ran off. Brody and his date stood in a confused silence. Well, that was odd, his date said. Well, Mark, this is what a date with me is like. Adventure, excitement, and showing up late to a concert in the park, Brody said with a smirk. Mark laughed, and the two continued their walk. A few blocks later, four large security guards ran by, breathing heavily. Their uniforms read, AmeriCoin. You, you don't think, Mark asked, pointing in the direction of the masked man. Let's, let's get to the concert, Brody said. He dropped the suitcase and held his date's hand. Surely there was no greater sign than unexplained security guards running into the night.